السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى قال تبارك وتعالى إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبنا وحبيبنا وحبيب ربنا وطبيبنا ومولانا محمد عبد الله ورسوله respected elders brothers in Islam respected ustaz Azad Mulana Yunus Alhamdulillah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has favored us that we have reached the month of Ramadan and indeed this is a great ni'mat of Allah that yet again we have reached the month of Ramadan. We are going to be experiencing five Jumu'ah in this particular Ramadan at the least. There's nothing dependent on moon sighting. The 29th of Ramadan will be a Friday as well. So Alhamdulillah, not only is it the month of Ramadan, but five Jumu'ah in this particular month of Ramadan. Now we know how many people were with us last year are not with us this year in the month of Ramadan. So how fortunate we are that we have reached this month of Ramadan. And we know the dua that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made in the month of Rajab. Allahumma barik lana fi Rajaba wa Sha'bana wa balighna Ramadan. That oh Allah bless me in the month of Rajab, in the month of Sha'ban, and in the month of Ramadan. So brothers are disturbing. Can you please? Uh, disturbing. So... As it has been announced that this today, inshallah, there will be a talk or a report back rather on the recent activities in the land of Turkey and in, in Syria. So alhamdulillah, the Jamiatul Ulama KwaZulu-Natal has been involved in this particular crisis from the time of the inception of the crisis. And I have spoken about it last year as well, where a report back was given regarding the relief efforts that took place. So this was a relief project with a very different, very different dynamics where an earthquake had taken place. Unfortunately, many of us are aware of what happened over the last few years, but not the details perhaps of what is going on in Syria currently, in that land of Sham, Mubarak land of Sham, what is going on for the last decade or more. Many of us are not too interested in the details, unfortunately. But this, just to explain the land of Sham, current-day Syria falls within the Mubarak land of Sham as explained by Rasulullah The land of Sham is that land which is blessed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Masjid al-Aqsa al-Mubarak falls within the land of Sham as well. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua for the land of Sham and for the land of Yemen. Allahumma barik lana fi shamina. Allahumma barik lana fi shamina wa fi yamanina. Allah bless the land of Sham and bless the land of Yemen. This is the dua of the Prophet The land of Sham also contains Masjid al-Aqsa al-Mubarak, the third holiest precinct in Islam. The land of Sham is also Yawmul Mahshar, is the place of resurrection as well. And the land of Sham is that land where the Prophet when the Sahaba questioned him regarding the times of Fitan, the times of fitna, corruption, difficulty, trials, tribulations. What must we do at that time? He says, go to the land of Sham. 
So many, many Sahaba Ikiram, Ridwanullahi alayhi majma'een, they migrated to the land of Sham. Many, many Sahaba are buried in the land of Sham. The very famous Sahaba, Hazrat Bilal bin Rabaha radiyallahu ta'ala, and Muawiyah bin Nabi Sufyan radiyallahu ta'ala, anhuma. And like that, many, many other Sahaba are buried in the land of Sham. We know that the greatest Sahaba Ikiram that ever lived with the Sahaba of Badr, the Ashabul Badr, after the Khulafai Rashidin, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Khulafai Rashidin, the greatest Sahaba in rank are the Ashabul Badr, the Badriyin. And over a hundred Badri Sahaba set foot on the land of Sham. So we can understand the value of the land of Sham. So this particular land, unfortunately, whether it's Palestine, or whether it's Syria, currently Syria, as we understand the borders of currently Syria, we know the turmoil that is taking place in these lands. And how the Muslim Ummah is on the receiving end. From the time we have been born, we haven't seen victory in these areas. From the time most of us are born, we have seen Masjid al-Aqsa, which has been, which has been annexed by the non-Muslims. Whether it was the Balfour Declaration at the beginning of the last century, or whether, whether it was 1948, the creation of the illegitimate state of Israel, or whether it was the 67 war or the 73 war, but we know for a fact from 1967, Masjid al-Aqsa is not in our control and out of our control, unfortunately. So coming back to what happened on the 6th of February. It was, most of us are aware of the earthquake that took place, the magnitude of the earthquake that took place, the severity of the earthquake that took place on the 6th of February. It was flashed across screens throughout the world, and many of us saw pictures of the destruction, the chaos, the mayhem. Many of us have seen it. But one only understands it fully and can comprehend it when one sees it oneself. The level of destruction, the magnitude of the destruction. And to take you to the ayat of the Quran Kareem, that Ya Ayyuhalladina Amanuskainu Bisabri was salah in Allahamasabirin. The ayat thereafter, most of us have heard of this ayat, Wala Nabalu wa Nakumbishay Imminal Khofi Waljuhi wa Nakusiminal Amwali Wal Anfus Wathamarat Wabashiri Sabirin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is stating with emphasis in the Qur'an, That definitely we will test you with one of these things, with either fear, and we South Africans understand this concept of fear quite well. Just recently, a few days ago, when there was a shutdown planned, we know the preparation, the fear, the anxiety that gripped us. And when looting took place in July previously, we know the, the fear that gripped us when we were locked in our homes and we couldn't exit our neighborhoods. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, definitely we will test you with something of fear. All your crops were samarat, or loss of crops, your agricultural products, your merchandise, or bashiri sabirin. But glad tidings to those who persevere, who have sabr, who exercise patience. When any affliction afflicts them, qalu inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi And wallah, we have seen this ourselves. 
So that's why this is an eyewitness account that we saw all these five things that has affected the Syrian people. All five. Every kind of test. And we have seen Wabashir al-Sabiri. That we haven't seen, despite meeting thousands of people, we haven't seen anyone complaining. Everyone accepting that this is ma qaddar Allah. That what Allah had destined has happened. So this conflict has been raging from 2011 with the Arab Spring that started off in Tunisia. The winds of change started in Tunisia. And it spilled over in the other Arab countries. That's why it's called the Arab Spring. And we know in Egypt what happened, that there was a legitimate government installed after the Arab Spring. Hafiz Muhammad Mursi, rahimahullah. And he was thereafter uh, in a coup. He was imprisoned and he was put to death, rahimahullah. A good leader of Egypt, which Egypt hasn't seen from the time of his independence. And he was made shaheed. And then we see the, the winds of change in other countries. So in Syria also, there were the winds of change. It, the youth started the winds of change. And the youth were very, very uh, dynamic in the sense that they uprose against the tyrant ruler who current rules most of Syria, Bashar al-Assad. Bashar Assad. So this is a non-Muslim government of the land of Syria. 90% of this land consists of Sunni Muslims. And I'm emphasizing Sunni Muslims. They're from the early Sunnah or Jama'ah, the majority of the people. And then there was so much of persecution of those who uprose with the help of particularly Iran, Shia Iran, and Russia, which has its only port in the Middle East, in the land of Syria. No other port Russia enjoys except in, in Syria itself. The only port in the Middle East. And with the help of these kafir powers, the uprising was quelled. And as we speak today, the demographics of Syria have changed. A city, ancient civilization like Aleppo, which is called Halab in Arabic, just a hundred kilometers from the Turkish border, which was the seat of learning, especially of Hanafi knowledge and ilm, the ulama of the Hanafi persuasion of the madhab, this was the seat of learning, ancient civilization, Halab. Today the entire demographics of this place has changed. It has become Shia, non-Muslim. And as we speak today, over seven, six, seven million Syrians are no more in their land. They have been displaced. Either they internally displaced within Syria, the northern part of Syria. There's a particular area called Idlib, a province of Syria, where most of them are concentrated in Idlib or they have spilled over into Turkey and there's approximately three to three and a half million people, Syrian nationals, who currently live as refugees, especially on the, on the Turkish border and in other places in the world. But predominantly the largest population of Syrian refugees are living in Turkey itself. Many of these towns we have been working in, from 2013 we have been working to current, Throughout the year that, alhamdulillah, aid is dispensed in these places. Many orphanages are supported and run. Madrasas have been built. Homes have been built. Food support, uh, grocery support, toiletries, cosmetics, clothing support, all kinds of support, alhamdulillah. Much of this support is coming from the community of South Africa, alhamdulillah. Once Hazrat Mulana Yunus Patel, rahimahullah, comes to mind that once he was speaking of Catastrophes, a certain catastrophe had taken place in some part of the world. And he commented, he says, Alhamdulillah, by and large, we have been insulated in this country. We have been protected in this country. 
perhaps it's because of the charity of the Muslim community of this country that Allah has protected us from so many trials and tests so what we are going through maybe perhaps the crime and the grime and the potholes and whatever else we, we, we do suffer as well but it's nothing in comparison to what one part of the ummah is going through Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said al-muslimuna karajulin wahidid that the Muslims are the, the Muslims are like one body, like one person. Inishtaka ainuhu, ishtaka kulluhu, wa inishtaka ra'suhu, ishtaka kulluhu, aw kama qala sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That the Muslim ummah is like one person. If one part of the body is in distress, the entire body feels a distress. If the eye is in distress, the whole body is in distress. If the head is in distress, the whole body is in distress. So, this distress of the ummah, it's, it's something that should be flowing within our veins. If it doesn't flow within our veins, then that's the benchmark of our iman. That if we feel the pain of the Muslim ummah, we feel, yes, we cannot do much sometimes. We are helpless to assist at times. But the least we can do is we can financially support these people who are distressed. If we can't do that, then at least we can make dua. Dua each and every person can make. There is no price tag on making dua. That if how we make dua for those we love and for ourselves. How often have we raised our hands and cried to Allah making dua for those oppressed Muslims who we do not even know. That's the benchmark of Iman. That's the acid test of Iman. That how much of feeling we have for that part of the Muslim Ummah in any other part of the world that is going through any distress of whatever kind. Time is very limited in a Juma platform. So basically I'm just going to share with you some statistics and a few examples of our meetings that we had in our distributions etc. So when this earthquake struck on the 6th of February, it was a Monday morning. An ordinary Monday morning, it's, it's peak winter there. In, in that part of the world is peak winter. And it struck at 4.17 a.m. in the morning. 4.17 a.m. It's the Hajjur time. And like how it's in South Africa at the moment, our Suhoor ends at around 20 to 4 more or less, 20 to 5 more or less. So it's the Hajjur time. It's still, it's quiet. Most people are sleeping at that time. Majority of men is sleeping at that time, at that hour. And when this earthquake struck, it struck with such magnitude on the Richter scale. And the depth, the depth it went was 10 kilometers into the earth, the magnitude of this earthquake. And it struck in, the, in a city called Gaziantep, which is the sixth largest city of Turkey. And Turkey has about 80, 81 provinces. So this is the, one of the sixth largest city. And from there it spread across 10 cities rapidly. And 10 cities have been declared emergency states or state of disaster has been declared in 10 cities in the region. There it went to Kahraman Marash, which is a city nearby. And today that city doesn't exist. It's flattened. It's wiped off the surface of the earth. The city is totally destroyed. There's nobody living there, no habitants in that city. From there it spread across other cities, Shandi Urfa, and as far as Hatay. Now we have traveled this border many, many times, from length to length of this border, dispensing aid. So we, we have been to Hatay, we have spent time in Hatay, we even spent many Ramadans in this city, in Hatay, beautiful city, and a city which is, which is referred to in biblical times as Antioch. 
a city where Isa alayhi salatu wasalam established the deen of Allah. And in this city lies buried a great person by the name of Habib Najjar. Habib Najjar was a disciple of Sayyidina Isa alayhi salatu wasalam. He brought iman in Isa alayhi salatu wasalam. And due to his proclamation of his iman and enjoining good and forbidding evil, he was assassinated in Hatay. And high up on a mountain, there's some paint where one can see from, from even below the city, where the spot where he was assassinated, his body was brought down and he's buried in, in, in Hatay. And there's a whole masjid complex called the Habib Najjar Masjid. This whole masjid, we, we went to this masjid, we performed salah there. This whole masjid has been destroyed in the earthquake as well. So when you go to the city, a shock hits you. While you have certain understanding of where, what an earthquake ravaged city may look like, buildings fallen, one understands, one has a mental picture, but one can only really understand it when one sees it oneself. And especially if a place which one is familiar with, landmarks where a person stayed, a hotel a person stayed, or the highways, or the business area, and when sees this entire city flattened. No building survives. If, if either the building is demolished, completely brought down, or either it's partially damaged, or either it's condemned for destruction. But no, nobody remains behind in this entire city of Hatay. It has to be rebuilt from scratch again. And in this city, the uh, river Tigris, water of river Tigris flows into this city as well. So a Mubarak city. And so let me give you a few examples. So this is a scene I'm trying to uh, paint so you can understand how these cities look like. I'll give you a few examples of people we met and a few statistics. In this earthquake, officially 50,000 people have passed away. And this earthquake wasn't restricted to Turkey only. It even went into Syria. And over many, many people passed away in Syria. Over 4,500 people passed away in Syria alone, in the northern part of Syria. So in Turkey, the official number is 50,000 dead. But according to the burial societies there, far more have passed away. They say the number exceeds 100,000. Because as you drive through these cities, all you see is rubble, rubble and rubble. To make one understand the extent of rubble, 210 million tons of rubble will have to be removed. Try to understand 1 million ton of rubble, 1 million. Multiply that by 210 million tons of rubble will have to be moved in order for these cities to be rebuilt. They have to be rebuilt from scratch again. 120,000 people were seriously injured in this earthquake. 120,000. And the number of homes destroyed, totally 224,000 homes or buildings. And among them, 520,000 apartments destroyed. 520,000 people families without shelter, without a home. Overnight, in just 80 seconds. In 80 seconds, landlord and tenant, as we have seen many uh, such messages moving around, which is a fact, landlord and tenant were both in a tent. In 80 seconds. That's if you survived the earthquake. Now, two, we have a few minutes left. 2.6 million people are currently in need of urgent aid. 2.6. This is in Turkey only. And in, in, in Syria itself, 86,000 86, people are homeless. 86,000 homeless people. The lessons we learn from this, the lessons we learn is that 
Firstly, to, to, we'll explain a few home visits to, to, to take the lessons or to draw the lessons. We, vis- we normally visit homes, especially of the elderly and the infirm, to deliver aid personally there, to give it to them with our own hands. And we have adopted a motto that charity with dignity. Charity with dignity. That's why no recipient's picture will be displayed for the world to see. If we, Allah forbid, if we had to be in that situation where we're waiting in a line to collect a hamper or some monetary, uh, you know, some monetary help being dispensed to us, we wouldn't like our picture or our parents' picture or our wife's picture or our children's picture displayed for the world to see. So when we give charity, let it be with dignity. So while we're giving the charity, let us not impair the dignity and the respect of the person we are giving it to. And in that day, sincerity. So we went to one home. I just mentioned, I'm going to mention a few. So the first home we went to, there was a 72-year-old man who took us up to his apartment. Simple apartment, not something fancy. Simple. These are rural areas, agricultural areas. So we went up to his home, maybe the third or fourth floor. And there he introduced us to his elderly mother who was seated, quite fit, but 100 years old. 100 year old mother, 72 year old son. So I asked him that, how long are you living here in Turkey? He says, no, from the time of the war, I'm, I moved here with my whole family is here. So I asked him, what, what does it feel like? A zilzal, what does it feel, an earthquake? He explained that the whole building was shaking, rocking like, like a seesaw. The whole building is shaking. And it shook violently. He says, you don't know what's happening. At 4.17 a.m. in the morning, you can't fathom what is happening. How does a hundred-year-old woman understand what's happening at 4.17 a.m.? What is happening? So many of them are screaming, Qiyama, Qiyama, Qiyama. This is Qiyama. Because Qiyama will be an earthquake. What's happening to the earth? What is happening to the earth today? So it's the scene of Qiyamah. So many people thought it's Qiyamah that came. They're screaming Qiyamah. So he explained to us that I can't run with an elderly mother, wife, children. Where am I going to run? He says, I just brought everybody together in the shaking. And he said, Ma qaddar Allah. Oh Allah, whatever you have this time to happen to us, we're happy with your decision. As long as I got Iman, it's enough. I have my Iman. Then it's enough. Whatever you're going to decide, whether this building is going to cave in, whether we're going to be killed, injured, maimed, whatever, we accept your decision. Look at the Iman, the bedrock of Iman. Another example, we went to visit a widow. Widow with five children, all yatim. This widow, we gave her some financial assistance. And wasn't even half an hour we had left her home that our driver, who, who she knew quite well, Syrian, informed us that whatever financial help you all gave your South Africans, that paid off her entire debt. Whatever debt she incurred, that paid off her debt. She can't explain that where these human beings came from and how did they come to my house and assist me. So Allah makes, Allah provides risk for whom He wants and how He wants. Another example, a brother, we sat with him in a place called Shani Urfa. It's a, it's a big city. There's airports in all these cities. And while we were seated in his house, he had a disabled father on the bed. When, when we say house, sometimes it's a one-bedroom house with 20 people living there. Few families live in a one-bedroom house. 
One bathroom, one kitchen, not even proper bathroom and kitchen as we understand it, as per our standards. So this young man is explaining to us, maybe in his 30s or early 40s perhaps, he says that when the earthquake struck, then I didn't know what happened. I just found myself under a slab, a concrete slab. And I'm wondering what is happening here, but I can hear screaming, my children screaming. This instinct, you try to get to your children. He came out unscathed from under the slab. When Allah wants to save somebody or protect somebody, nobody can harm him. He came out of there and he's looking for his children. And he mentioned to the children, recite Surah Ikhlas. Read Qul Allahu Ahad. In the rubble they were buried. Read that for comfort, for solace. And he says, I can bring my children here and, and let them tell it to you. I said, no need. Your word is good enough. He says, Wallah, he took a qasam in Allah. That my children said, small children, there were some people in white coming and comforting us, assisting us. So three children came out unscathed and three of his children became shaheed. Three passed away. His wife passed away. His mother-in-law passed away. His sister-in-law passed away. While tears were flowing down his cheeks, but not a word of complaint against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This maqaddar Allah, maqaddar, whatever Allah had decided has happened. They shuhada, they shuhada. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in one hadith, one particular hadith mentioned those people who are shuhada. And among those people, a person who drowns, a person who has an abdominal sickness and dies because of the abdominal sickness, stomach ailment, a person, a woman who dies in childbirth, a person upon whom a wall falls or a building collapses and he passes away. And a person obviously who's in the path of Allah, fi sabilillah, he's in the path of Allah. So these are the categories of shuhada. I'll end off with, with the last incident because time doesn't allow. One of our very close friends, Ahmad Kanan, his name is Ahmad Kanan, a Syrian who also migrated at the time of the civil war and lives in Turkey, works, works for a humanitarian organization, our partner organization called the IHH Ihaha, it's called in Turkey. And he explained that he lost 79 members of his family. 79. As his family, because the Syrians are very family orientated. He explained in his sedan, he went, he pulled out bodies. He put one in the front seat, one in, few in the back seat, few in the boat. He just goes, buries them, comes back, picks up, buries, comes back, he's wrapped them in a cloth. You can't give ghusl in these circumstances. So many thousand people, dead shuhada, this is wrapped up. And in mass graves we saw, mass graves, people are just buried, lined up one next to the other. But let's, what's the lessons we can draw? These are, I can go on and on giving you incidences, stories like this, accounts. But it's the lessons we draw. The lessons we draw, said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can change the condition within seconds. At any time, our condition can change from prosperity to adversity. At any time. Let us make shukar to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all His innumerable bounties upon us that we can make Jum'ah so comfortably, we can live so comfortably, we eat so well at the time of suhoor and iftar. We're not making out a living somewhere, a few crumbs somewhere. We have food. We have the ni'mas of Allah. The next thing we can learn, a lesson we can learn, we say, let us not take anything for granted. Let us not take anything for granted because at any time these things can be snatched away. And the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, when he told Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, kun fi dunya ka'annaka gharib aw'abiru sabil. 
That my young boy, he took him by his shoulder. Biman Kabib, by his shoulder. He says, Kun fi dunya ka'annaka gharib wa'abiru sabil. Live in this dunya, in this world, as though you are a, like a stranger. You have nothing to do with this world. You use this world, you, you utilize the bounties of this world, but you don't have a severe affection with this world. Like the Ahlullah. They have a detachment to this world, even though they use the world. So don't live in this world like a stranger. Oh, Abiru Sabil, or a wayfarer, you're just stopping there, you just stopped under the tree, you made yourself comfortable, and you're on your way again. You're just a musafir. Live in this dunya. Then Ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala advice further, and this hadith is in Bukhari, he says that when the morning comes, إِذَا asbahta, then don't wait for the evening. Don't anticipate the evening. And when the evening comes, don't anticipate living by the morning. And value your health before you can get sick. And value your life before death overtakes you. So these are some of the very few lessons that we can draw from what has happened in other parts of the world. Over and over again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fortify us in this country. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala strengthen us in this country. But we have to make an effort on the deen of Allah. We have to take Islam to the masses of this country. We have to let the message of Islam reach them as well. And if we want the message of Islam to reach, we can shout from the rooftops and from hailers, it will not work. We have to spread the example by our akhlaq and character. Our akhlaq and character interacting with non-Muslims while we're living in a majority non-Muslim country. Our behavior and our conduct in every aspect of life. Our mu'amalat, our mu'asharat, our dealings, our financial dealings, our monetary dealings, how we deal with people, our akhlaq and character with people, our respect for all the citizens of this country, that will bring about the, the transformation of, of, of people into, and bring them and invite them into the deen of Islam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give me an all tawfiq. I ask your apology for a few minutes, I have taken extra.